0: Happy Sabbath, church! <laughs> Last week we spoke about knowledge and how we come to know God and it's by searching for Him with all our hearts. And we saw that the three schools of thought when it comes to knowledge, epistemology and constructivism and, and rationalism, and none of those can explain nothing, right? Nothing is what atheists believe brought this world into existence and we believe that God brought everything into existence Today though, we're going to look at evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ Now there is so much that I was videos I was looking at, books I was reading there was so much information that I needed to be like a good mathematician and bring it down to its lowest common denominator because otherwise, we would be here for a couple of hours. Who wants to be here for a couple of hours? Somebody raise their hand, they want to be here for a couple of hours. <laughs> well, if you want to be here for a couple of hours, come on January 3rd when we're going to go into more details about evidence for the resurrection. Now, what's interesting about evidence for the resurrection is that the parameters we're going to look at are parameters that both liberal and conservative scholars agree. So if you've ever been to a jury, or if you've ever been selected by a jury, they, they question the jurors to see if they're gonna be biased for one side or the other. And so one time I got invited to become a juror, and the moment I, they found out I was a minister, no, nope, we don't need you, thank you. For some reason, they thought a minister wouldn't be good for this case. On another time, I was invited to a jury, and I was chosen, specifically because I was a minister. And so you never know. They lowered it to the the lowest common denominator, witnesses or members of the jury they can trust, and then they put it on trial. Before we look at the evidence, though, I want to... I have you open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to set the parameters of what it is they're arguing about and why it's so important. So if you open your Bibles to First Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. 1 it says, Paul is writing, he says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And now th- verse 3 begins his central argument. He says, For I delivered to you as as a first important, what I also received. Now, there's something you have to pay attention to there. He said, I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received. That means that his letter to the Corinthians is not the first time he is speaking about these things or writing about this, these things. In fact, he says, I received it. And so I'm delivering to you what I have received, thereby implication that this preaching of the gospel was being done way before he wrote the letter to the Corinthians. Let's continue. And this is what he received and delivered, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared, Cephas, then to the twelve, then... Then after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God look at this slide he says this is the argument he is making that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried raised on the third day according to the scriptures and then look at the amount of eyewitnesses to the appearance of our lord peter as we know him by cephas then the 12 the apostles then 500 at one time Then he appeared to James, this is not James the apostle, but James the brother of Jesus who converted afterwards, then to all the apostles, then to Paul who persecuted the church of God. Verse 12 and 13 though, look at verse 12 and 13. Now he begins to to articulate why this is so important that he appeared to all these people and why his death, burial, and resurrection and appearance to others. Now he's going to tell us why that's so important. He says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? They're not questioning the resurrection of Christ. They're questioning that the rest of us will never resurrect he says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, and I listen to what he says. He goes from speaking about himself, then he says, then our preaching is in vain. He's talking about not only himself, but all the disciples who have been preaching. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, once again, not singular, we are even found to be false witness because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we, not only Paul, but all the apostles, have hope in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. In other words, Paul is saying, it all hinges upon the resurrection. You can forget about Genesis. You can forget about the prophecies of Daniel. You can forget about Revelation. You can forget about the cross. You can forget about his death. He can forget about his burial. If the resurrection didn't happen, you can throw it all away. You are still in your sins. I'm still in my sins. I am preaching for no good reason. If the resurrection did not happen, all of it is worthless. So Paul is telling us that it all hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so... God, knowing, obviously, the truth that Christ has risen, has given every scholar, every atheistic scholar, the opportunity to prove him wrong. But you will find out here that the evidence leans towards the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I will get more into it beyond the minimal factors here in January. And this is what I mean by the minimal factors. I, as I explained earlier, It's only the the books of the Bible and only evidence that both liberal and conservative scholars agree upon. Here's a picture of the two leading scholars on either side. You can watch YouTube videos of both of them. I have several of his books. Gary Habermas is a prominent American philosopher and theologian best known for his work on the historical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is a formal scholar on this. He serves as a distinguished research professor and chair of the Department of Philosophy at Liberty University. I'm not. going to quote him, but the guy I'm most interested in is in this guy. Bart Ehrman is an American New Testament scholar focusing on textual criticism of the New Testament, the historical Jesus, and the development of early Christianity. He is a professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and has authored numerous books challenging traditional Christian claims. He is the atheist darling. Right now, it used to be Richard Dawkins, right now, it is this guy. He is their king, he is their leader, he is the proof that Christianity doesn't exists that the resurrection never happened and yet you'd be interested to see what he concedes as actual evidence for the case of christ or for the evidence for the resurrection here's what they use you'd be surprised that even this guy uses the bible as writings not as inspired by the word of god but as writings from that time of history that are legitimately talking about what the writers think happened. In other words, he doesn't believe this to be the Word of God, but he knows that there are more manuscripts about the Word of God than any other book in history, and he agrees that these letters are written as the people perceive them to be. The liberal scholars don't see the Bible as the inspired Word of God, And based on that, that they don't see it as the inspired word of God, they have what they call the minimal factor argument. These are the books they all agree when it comes to the Apostle Paul that are legitimately from Paul. And so look at the books. Paul wrote 13 books, but they only accept these seven as legitimately written from Paul in this order. Galatians. (laughs) <laughs> these are the dates they were written in galatians first thessalonians not second thessalonians first and second corinthians which we're looking at today philemon says nothing about the resurrection then philippians and romans now you'd be interested to see that if this is what they accept as authoritatively from paul look what he has to say about paul's theme in these books next to jesus himself this is herman paul was the most important figure in the entire history of christianity nearly half the books of the new testament claimed to be written by him one other book acts to largely written about him let's jump here for paul far less important than jesus earthly life and teaching were his death and resurrection which were god's means of salvation to the world now look at the books he says are legitimately Paul's when exploring his own ideas scholars therefore limit themselves to Romans 1st and 2nd Corinthians Galatians Philippians 1st Thessalonians and Philemon the undisputed letters we have no authentic writings from outside the New Testament so even this atheistic Fire against Christianity acknowledges that these letters are authentically for Paul now you and I as believers believe the others are legitimately from Paul but based on the minimal factor arguments this is what they agree on but look at all the letters for all the words this is just from those seven books resurrection rays This is, he himself said this was Paul's theme. And if you look at these writings Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, Thessalonians Paul and the resurrection of Jesus Christ were central to his writings and central to his preaching. Why? As I stated earlier, because if it did not happen, we are dead in our sins. All this is a sham, and we should not be here today. Even Ehrman, though, agrees that this is what happened. At least this is what Paul writes that happened. Now, here is another three things, and you'll hear it from Ehrman's voice himself. I have a short video. He says, Bert Ehrman, a renowned New Testament scholar and atheist, concurs with several key historical assertions about Jesus. Now, before I tell you what the assertion he agrees upon, you know, Glenn, the atheist I'm talking to, he (coughs) says that I am one God away from being an atheist. And it's true. All of us here are one God away from being an atheist. If we don't believe in Jesus Christ, we're not going to believe in the other gods and so we become atheists but then i remind them you're one god away from being a theist <laughs> right and this is where Erman is at because look at the things he acknowledges well, let me tell you them first and then we'll hear him say he says he acknowledges the historicity of jesus christ he was an historical person who actually lived he says that And the evidence is undisputed. He doesn't deny that Jesus was killed by crucifixion. And he doesn't deny that the the post-crucifixion appearances of Jesus as perceived by his disciples. So he is just one reality away from being a theist. He believes that Jesus existed, he believes that Jesus died on the cross, and he believes that the disciples actually believe they saw Jesus appear after death. Here he is in his own words. To ask you, I mean, his view on the matter, uh, along with many others, is that we have a few facts about Jesus that we can pretty confidently say are true. Firstly, that, you know, a man called Jesus existed, Mm -hmm. and sort of going around teaching an ethical code of of sorts and and gaining followers, uh, got into disrepute with the Roman authorities, was killed by crucifixion, and that afterwards groups of people claim to have seen him. Mm-hmm. Do you think that all of these facts are sort of well established? Yes. Sir. So given that, how do we explain the, 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 uh, you know, the, the fact that all of these are true at the same time? Oh, well, I don't see any trouble at all. So the young man asked him, Jesus existed, he died by crucif- crucif- <laughs> crucifixion, <laughs> and that he was seen by all his disciples. <laughs> And then he asked them, is this true? He said, yes. Then he asked them, how do you explain all of this? And then he says, well, that's easy. And then he scratches his face. Now, for some reason, that bothers me. It's almost like he's thinking of the answer or, I don't know, there are people who study features of when people move their hands while they're giving testimonies and stuff. I don't know. That bothers me. They could be nothing. But if you have any insight into that, let me know so he admits all of this yet doesn't believe now is that so far-fetched no because the bible tells us that the devils believe and don't follow god so that's not so far-fetched let me give you some other evidence for the apostle paul that we're going to dive deeper into in january clement of rome is an early church father who wrote an epistle to the corinthians commonly known as the first clement this letter, traditionally dated to the, for the late 1st century, makes reference to Paul's letters and his martyrdom, indicating clement's awareness and reverence for Paul's work and teaching. Ignatius of Antioch, another early church father, wrote a series of letters on his way to martyrdom in Rome, around 110. In these letters, he occasionally makes references that seem to Apple, Paul's teaching, suggesting familiarity with Paul's epistles. And this guy has more. Polycar, A second century Christian bishop is said to have been a disciple of John the Apostle. In his letters to the Philippians, Polycarp mentions Paul showing his knowledge and acceptance of Paul's authority writing. So there is even outside of scripture confirmation of the Apostle Paul. But even the leading atheist scholar concludes Paul existed and these are his authentic letters, even if he denies some of the other ones. Now I'm going to show you this slide. And I'm going to tell you from the get-go, the dots in the middle are the same size. However, when you look at it, do they look like the same size to you? Yes or no? In fact, if we're honest with ourselves, this dot looks bigger than this dot. Yes or no? And it shows you, as we studied last week, that you can't always trust your eyes. What we can trust is the Word of God. But here's why I bring it up, because in Ehrman's defense, what he tries to say is that the disciples did not see a physically resurrected Jesus. is that they saw a vision of Jesus. But we'll get into that. These two are exactly the same size, and yet to our eyes, they look different. So open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts, chapter 9. The book of Acts, chapter 9 the book of acts chapter 9 beginning in verse 1 acts chapter 9 beginning in verse 1 now Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the lord went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at letters from him to the synagogues at damascus so that he so that if he found any belonging to the way both men and women he might bring them bound to Jerusalem as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus who you persecute. But get up and enter the city and it will be told to you what you must do. Look at verse 7, which is key. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but see no one. Saul got up from the ground and drew his eyes, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Look at these definitions on the screen. As in, a hallucination is a false perception of something that is not there, right? So a hallucination is a false perception of something that is not there. I have a cousin who is a Navy SEAL. And then in the Navy SEALs, they have what they call Hell Week. A week where they train you so hard, you only sleep between three to five hours for an entire week. And all of them, usually around when they have to raft somewhere, all of them at some point experience hallucinations. Now, how sleep deprived must you be and tired and fatigued to experience hallucinations? But here's what's interesting, is that sometimes one of the hallucinations spoken about was this soldier thought an octopus with all his legs was coming up to grab all the soldiers. But what they're taught is to ask their fellow soldiers, do you see an octopus? And all of them say, No, there is no octopus. And they train themselves to continue to fight on and to continue to to do the mission. But others may see something else and they're taught to ask, do you see what I see? And the answer is no. In fact, mass hallucination, as a matter of fact, somebody said that it's easier for Christ to raise from the dead than to have mass hallucinations. It is impossible to have a mass hallucination where we all see the same thing. A delusion, though, is a false belief held with a conviction that it is true in spite of the evidence that that's a, the Latin word, that it is true. When we went here, all of us will admit that this one looks bigger. But if you take a ruler, which I did at home, and put it up on the screen, they're both the same size. If you continue to believe that this is bigger, then you're having a delusional episode. Because in spite of the facts that you can measure it yourself, you still believe that one is bigger than the other, you're suffering from a delusion. And I hate to admit it, and I hope nobody here is dealing with it, but the earth is not flat. <laughs> the earth is round. Now, we can argue about if people actually went to the moon. But the earth is not flat. As a matter of fact, in our pioneers' day, they were dealing with this, and we were told this is how you deal with people who believe in a flat earth sorry I don't have the time I'm doing the Lord's work (laughs) so in spite of the evidence you still believe something that is wrong so if you believe this is right bigger than this despite after you measuring it that is a delusion so here is the case against hallucinations there are no such things as group appearances it still wouldn't explain the fact that the tomb is empty. The conversion of the church persecutor, Paul, the reason they use sometimes hallucinations is because they think all the disciples were so distraught, that distraughtness that Jesus was going to conquer the Romans, snapped their minds and they're hallucinating. Well, that wouldn't explain Paul because Paul was a persecutor. He didn't want Jesus to be real. So he wouldn't excuse Paul it wouldn't convert the skeptic James. Remember, it's recorded in Scripture that James, the brother of Jesus, thought that Jesus was what crazy. His own brother thought that Jesus was crazy. So it wouldn't explain why James would convert afterwards. And a hallucination—you saw that not only did he appear to Peter. But to the 12th and to James and to the apostle, but to 500 people at one time. And this didn't happen somewhere else. It happened right there in Jerusalem, where they could have easily denied it. They easily could have gone to the tomb of Christ and said, No, here is the body. But they didn't do that. Now, if it was a delusion, it still doesn't account for the conversion of Paul. Why would Paul? be so traumatized that he, he wants to convert into Christianity which he himself was persecuted it wouldn't uh, account for the, the skeptic brother James and it wouldn't account for an empty tomb the tomb is empty now some scholars say this I went to Jerusalem in 19 and there are two locations that they say could be the tomb of Jesus Christ. In fact, they go as far as say one of these is the tomb of Christ. We're not 100% sure which one it is. However, they lean towards the Church of the Holy... S- okay. That word. <laughs> Having trouble today, right? As the authentic location of the Church of Christ. So my question is this, the scholar said, see, it shows you that they probably went to the wrong tomb they didn't know. First of all, they would have known which tomb it was right around the time it happened. Mm-hmm. But why would they remember years later, a tomb that's empty? They weren't thinking about, let's preserve this for history. If the tomb, tomb is empty and we know he lives, why would I remember that? Why would I have to remember where something is that I know it's no longer there? Mm-hmm. And so that's not convincing as well. So the delusion hallucinations do not explain what happened to the disciples. However, Bert Ehrman agrees with this, and he says that it was a vision. Now, what's the difference between a hallucination and a delusion and a vision? Because this is where he's at. Well, if it's an objective vision, then he's still risen. If you look at Acts chapter 7, we're not going to turn there. Stephen, right before he is stoned, he kneels and sees Christ where? In heaven, standing up, basically saying that he will vindicate Stephen one day. An objective vision is you looking at something that is real. So it can't be that the disciples had an objective vision because that would still validate that Christ is risen. As a matter of fact, let me give you an example of an objective vision. There in Acts chapter 9, if you go to verse 10, he says, And there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him, In a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hand on him so that he might regain his sight. Ananias is seeing a vision of the Lord, but he's having a conversation with what? A real person happened to come to him in vision so if get if, if Brett Herman says it was an objective vision then the Lord is risen however he doesn't say that he says it's a subjective vision in other words that his mind just made it up but if his mind just made it made it up then we go back to these two a hallucination type vision would not explain it being seen by over 500 other people and it would not explain if it's a delusion subjective delusion would not explain the conversion of Paul and James who had no reason to be sad about the death of Jesus Christ so either way Brett Herman is one God away from being a theist he already believes in the life of Christ he already believed that he was crucified. He already believed that he was seen by many. All he needs is the touching spirit of the Holy Spirit. And he can end up being a modern day Paul contending for the faith that he is fighting against. That's the best argument atheistic scholars have for the fact that Jesus Christ is not risen. Not that we have a body, Not that we have a tomb with bones in it, but that his disciples just saw a vision. Well, that powerful vision has turned the world upside down. (laughs) If that's all he wants to call it, that powerful vision has been seen by me and by others. Maybe not by sight, but by faith we have seen it. And it's changed my life and the lives of many others. I'm going to close with words from Peter and Paul. The 12 disciples all died somehow. The only ones we have confirmed that died by martyrdom are James, Peter, and Paul. And people say, well, terrorists die for the faith all the time. Why should that count? that these men died for their belief in jesus the difference between a terrorist and james paul and peter is that unlike you and i who believe in a christ we have not seen even though he lives in our hearts the apostle paul james and peter died for christ knowing that they knew the truth whether he did rise or not they didn't have to believe on the testimony of somebody else they believed knowing whether they he was risen or not hear the pathos in their words therefore brother peter said be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you for as long as you practice these things you will never what stumble. In Christ, we will never have to stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by the way of reminder knowing that the mighty aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent as also our lord jesus christ has made clear to me and i will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you will be able to call these things to mind For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our lord jesus christ But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter is saying, look. By implication, he's saying, look. I didn't become a millionaire and a billionaire for what I'm preaching. I didn't live in fancy houses and drive fancy cars. I'm about to die for what I witnessed. And yet every breath of my life, I want to remind you that he is risen. And even though my departure is at hand, I want to let you know that we are not following cunningly devised favors. I'm a eyewitness to this. And his companion Paul, who died in Rome, also says these words. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith in the future there is laid upon me laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all who love his appearance paul too was hated by his own country didn't live a life in a mansion with fancy cars and servants He was whipped twice, abandoned at sea, in prison, plotted to be killed. And he says, I know what's waiting for me. I have kept the faith, I have fought the good fight they were in the position to know whether this was true or not and they willingly went to their deaths. in sketches of the life of Paul sister white tells us that as he was walking to his to the place where they were going to behead him as he got closer to the place of his beheading his light, his face shone brighter and the very soldier that was taking him to the place of crucifixion the very soldier that was taking him to the place of crucifixion ended up laying his own head and dying for the cross of christ don't let the scholars fool you they've conceded as much as they can conceive because the evidence is abundant but don't let their explanation of a vision that this the devils have actually seen God and still don't believe so it's not about your senses it's about letting Him in your heart and having him change you inside out and when he does that your life will never be the same i know because my life has never been the same and like peter and paul as long as i'm i'm the pastor of this church i'm going to remind you that we serve a risen savior he lives the evidence is abundant all we have to do is surrender let's pray dear heavenly father i thank you for your love I thank you because you live, I can face tomorrow. Thank you because even the atheists have conceded so much. Father, soften their hearts and bring them into a faith-saving relationship with you. I lift up Glenn and I lift up Mr. Irwin that they may become champions for the cause of Christ. Touch them in your son's name, we pray. Amen.